Well, once again, welcome to Calvary Baptist. It's good to see you this morning, and we're looking forward to just, we're expecting great things of what God has already done and what He's already shown us through the music and what He's going to show us in His Word, and I'm glad that you're here for that journey today. Um, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm kind of partial to hearing stories about kids and especially what they think about church and sometimes how they see things uh, a bit differently, even though they're hearing the same stories. Uh, for instance, uh, little Johnny that I, I read about went to, was hearing in Sunday school, just like our kids are going to be hearing now to probably today, was, was very intrigued by the lesson on creation. And as they talked about creation, the thing that really got his attention was that God made Eve out of a rib from Adam. That really, that really struck him. So later on that week, uh, Johnny's mom hears him crying in the living room and he's laying on the floor and he's holding and, and he's ill, he's sick. And, he's, and she says, Johnny, what's wrong? And he said, Mom, this pain in my side, I think I'm having a wife. <laughs> or another little boy went to his grandma's house and uh, while she was in the kitchen fixing lunch, he sat down and was kind of thumbing through the big family Bible sitting on the, sitting on the coffee table. And while he was looking through the pages, one of those finely pressed leaves fell out onto the table. He said, Grandma, I think I found Adam's suit. <laughs> Today, kids see things great. I, I, I love that. Today, we're going to open up the Bible. And, and as you open up your Bible, you may not have leaves fall out. That's probably not going to happen. But I do believe that God is going to let some truth come alive to you, hopefully in a in a brand new and fresh way. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're, we're talking about the story, uh, and we're doing this in a very specific way. We're walking from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. And you're going to see this timeline along the, the wall just kind of take shape as we go along, as we move through the different areas, and, and you even get to see the approximate dates when some of these things happen, as we're looking not only historically, but how that this story ties into the, to the entire story of what God was trying to teach us. I, I want to just say congratulations for all of you who read chapter number one uh, and, and are, we've taken that journey because I think that will even help you. As we go into today, you've already got an idea of some of the things we're going to talk about. So congratulations. I had one man tell me just how excited he was that he really has ever read the Bible through. So this is exciting just to get this overall picture. And I'm, I think that is going to be one of the great things we get over these next several weeks is just seeing the Bible from beginning to end. And some of you, that's, that's the first time. Uh, I, I got a list of names last week from folks who filled out uh, uh, cards, and, and I promise you I'm going to be praying for you, and uh, I've already started. It's a great list just to kind of see your names and your faces, and then every week if you put an email on there, I'll send you some kind of encouragement. If something happens, you don't get the, if you're not getting those emails, uh, you should get one a week. Just put it on your connection card. Hey, I didn't get it. Put your, new, your email on to make sure we got the right one, all of those kind of things. But if you weren't here last week or you'd like to be a part of that list, there are some of these cards in the back. Pick one up, stick it in the connection box, and I'll make sure to get you on the list too so that we can send you the emails and, and I'll be sure to be praying for you by name as well if you go through this journey. We're, we're talking about, again, from beginning to end, book of Revelation is how it ends, but we start in the book of Genesis. Now, what we know is there's 66 books, but these 66 books are not just a collection of random stories. That in all of these, these books and the stories contained in them, there is, a, there is a common thread. 
There is a theme that God is, is teaching us. There is a story that overarches all these stories. And they, those stories are just pictures of the major story that God is trying to help us understand. We talked about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That is all the story of the Bible. And you're going to see that story come out in different ways throughout the scriptures. But that's where God is going with this amazing story. Now, we talked about a couple of things. We talked about there's an upper story. The story of the fact that, that God, is, there's a non, never going to stop, an, an unstoppable part of the story that is God's will, God's plan, God's design, and nothing we do is going to affect that. But there's also a lower story, the human experience, the part where we live. And, and the idea of keeping our eyes on the fact that there is an upper story, no matter what we're going through here, God is still working his plan. That's a wonderful encouragement but it also helps us understand that sometimes we just don't have all the facts. We don't have all the details because we're seeing things from our lower story perspective. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about, if you, if you have your book or if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the very first verse again of the Bible. Uh, in your books, it would be page one, and we're talking chapter one. And many of you know this verse by heart, and if you don't or if you do, I'd like you to either read it with me or, or say it, quote it with me. Genesis chapter one. Verse number one, here's how the story begins. And this is, there's going to be several sentences I'm going to use as we kind of walk through these first couple chapters. And the first one is this, in the upper story, God creates the lower story. Genesis one, verse number one, say it or read it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Power packed way to start this story. In the beginning, of course, that's where it starts. Fourth word is God. God is the, is the main event, the main character. The, the story is about him. And so he starts with that, the God, the Elohim, the all-powerful. In the beginning, God. And it all starts there. And then what we see is that everything that exists, everything that has breath, everything that has existence, finds that existence in God. How do I know that? Because the next seven words, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts with us understanding from the very perspective that this is the upper story. It starts here. God creates the heavens and the earth. It's about his creation. Nothing happened by chance. Nothing happened by accident. It wasn't just something that, that miraculously appeared except that God said and it happened. God spoke and it came into existence. The very fact that we can accept and understand the very immediate truth and everything in the Bible hinges on this truth, the fact that God is the creator, then he can do whatever he wants with the rest of it, correct? If he created it, then he's in charge of it. If he made it, then he can do whatever he wants to with it. That's the upper story. It starts with God created the heavens and the earth. But the question is, why did he do that? And that's when we come to the lower story. That's when we come to this next section. Now, if you look, if you have your books, or if you go home and look, in the front, the front part of your book, you're going to see a little map, okay? And on this map, this is where the lower story begins. Remember, God, in his upper story, created the lower story. He's the one that made the lower story ever come into existence. And it starts in this, as you look through and you understand where God made it. In chapter 2, he actually gives some dis distinct uh, instructions of where this garden happened, the Garden of Eden, and I, I circled it. You can circle it in your books too. He said it comes with the intersection of the Tigris and the Euphrates River, at, which we would know today close to the Persian Gulf, somewhere in Iraq. Uh, of course, the question is, where is it now? 
Well, that's a mystery God will help us solve someday. We don't know, but that's where the garden was placed in its inception, at that very corner. So God, in his upper story, he creates the lower story, and in this lower story, he, he does what, what he does. He creates everything and all of the things he does. But understand, the story tells us that because of how he made uh, human beings, human beings then are the, the apple of his eye, the pinnacle of his creation. We are the ones created in his image. Think about this. Hundreds of billions of galaxies, by our best known count so far, scientists, the best telescopes they have, 100 billion galaxies on the earth, stars, planets, solar systems, and yet of all of those things, he pays special attention to the human race. Of all of the beauty, he did all of that for his glory, and yet he has chosen in his, in his upper story to pay attention to us, the human race. He put him in, in, in chapter 2 and verse number 8. Here's how the Bible says it. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden that we saw where it was at, and there he put the man he had formed. God takes us, he creates the lower story, and he puts man in it. Here's the second sentence to help us kind of walk through this, this story. God's vision was to come down and be with us in a beautiful garden. That was God's plan. The upper story, he creates the lower story. He not only creates all the beautiful creation, but he puts man right in the middle of everything. The Holy Spirit, the, the Father, the Son, in community, these have then said, I want to have community with humanity. We want to have a relationship with our creation, and thus he makes us. And, and in fact, there's a picture in chapter 3 and verse 8 that God kind of gives of this relationship. Because if you look in the first couple chapters of Genesis, God is all about relationship. He's all about family. He's all about this connection. And in chapter 3 and verse 8, he kind of gives us this picture when he said this. He said that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This was a picture of a relationship, a walking relationship they had with God. This, this picture of God taking a journey through the garden he created. That was God's vision. But here's what God makes clear to us. When he created Adam and Eve, he made them and he wanted them to embrace that vision and not be forced to accept that vision. And so to, in order for them to be able to embrace the vision, to be able to see it, there had to be something he created them different than he created all the rest of creation. And he created in Adam and Eve a freedom to choose. He gave them the opportunity to choose. And so now, with that opportunity, he gives them two choices. He gives them, in, in this beautiful garden, he creates, and he says all the trees were pleasant to the eye. All of them were beautiful, but there were two trees that had specific significance. There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here was the choice. If they choose to eat from the tree of life, then they're embracing God's vision, and they too want this relationship and to follow him. But if they choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... In essence, they are rejecting God's vision. They don't want what he wants. In fact, here's how it's put in chapter 2. It's page 4 of your book, if you had it. He says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The point was not to hurt them, was not to it was giving them a choice because I want you to want this relationship as much as, so I give you a choice. And he makes the instructions very clear, which leads us to the second part of this story that weaves its way through the Bible. We have creation. 
and all that God did, and then there's the fall. And what we find is this third sentence that kind of helps us through these first couple chapters. The first two people, Adam and Eve, they reject God's vision and are escorted from the garden. They choose to take of the tree. They choose to eat of the forbidden fruit, thus saying, God, we don't want this like you do, and which leads us to this fourth thing, and that is this. Their decision introduces sin into the human race and keeps us from a relationship with God. The fall. The fall affects not only Adam and Eve, but now it's going to affect all of the rest of humanity. I want you to pay attention to the screen for just a couple of minutes and get a good picture of this idea of the fall and how it's described in little different terms. Watch the screen for just a moment. of all of the creatures in the Creator's perfect planet. The reptiles surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes. Streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies, he slithered up to Eve, the woman, from her blind side, preserving the element of surprise. And he said, hello, child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good. How do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste. What a waste that would be. Eve, the woman, pointed out the tree with the taboo. The tree of the knowing, the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear that everything else was free, every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. Ah, said the snake, faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn. With just one bite, you be just like him. Eyes wide open, knowing the heights of what humans can do, knowing the depths, the despicable too. God would have no tactical advantage over you. You and your man could have the run of the place, total control over the food you eat, the life you live, the path you choose. With just one small bite, you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. The woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise, with open eyes. 
she's What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down and the universe was silent. It was the cool part of the day, and God was walking, walking through the land he made, his ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kiss the innocence goodbye adam where you hiding son eve girl what have you done Around. It's broken now. Under a curse. From bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen. Life will be shorter. Pain will be greater. Work be harder, grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands, Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, reframed. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head, you will strike and bite his heel, you will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for he looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now, he said. And the serpent, he in the upper story, God created the lower story. He created it to put man, his creation, his apple of his eye into a garden where they could enjoy fellowship. But in that fellowship, he gave them a choice, and Adam and Eve chose chose to, re to reject God's vision, and they were escorted from the garden. But the point is, that then affected the rest of the human race. The fall affected all of us from that point on. Something changed, not just in the garden, not just in what their surroundings, not just in the curses. Something changed on the inside of Adam and Eve. 
Sin now flows through their bloodstream. Something is different. Something from now, they, have, they, they got what they wished for. They got the two choices. They got the knowledge of good and evil, but now that becomes a struggle for them. That becomes something that will, will forever plague the human race because before they had the, the choice, they didn't know what the other side of the choice was. Now we understand what they are going through and the fact of when we come to a decision, we see that there is the evil, the immoral choice, and there is the good choice, and that becomes a struggle within us, and that's the struggle of sin. That's a struggle that has, that has plagued Adam and Eve and those following. How do we know that these two choices were there? Look what the first thing that they did in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. When the eyes of them both were opened and they realized they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Why? A few verses before, they were naked and there was no shame. Now, when they look at each other, they don't look with the same eyes. Now they look and they see something evil. They see something shameful. They cover themselves up. They're no longer willing to be vulnerable. And from then on, man has been defensive of who he is and been defensive of what we believe and what we think because of sin that courses through the veins of our ancestors, Adam and Eve. And the story continues. As you go on now through the next chapters of Genesis Chapter number four, these two have two sons, Cain and Abel. And before the, before the verses are finished, they, they, these two sons are also given a choice. And one, cho again, chooses to reject God's vision of it and ends up killing his brother. So we have the first murder within the first four chapters. And this fall just capitulates and it continues to grow and it continues to take on. And then we, the, the, you'll just see evil continue to grow throughout, throughout the culture. But we've got to understand that though we, whether we grasp it or not, this truth has passed down to us. Show of hands. How many of you in here are human? Okay. One of you didn't raise your hand. You're either asleep or, you know, do-do-do-do. I don't know, but here's the thing. We're all human, and if we're all human, we have inherited this nature of sin. Sin courses through our veins as well, and we're unable in ourselves to to have this relationship within the garden that God created. And then what we're going to see as the story continues, and anytime that it, without the presence of God, without the work of God, man in his sin just can do some of the most unspeakable things. And sin can get to the point of just even, even sinners themselves shake their head. How could it get that far? It's because of the sin that goes on. In fact, if we go to Genesis chapter 6, it kind of reaches a climax in this chapter Genesis chapter 6 is page 8 in your books. It says this, The Lord God saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And notice that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And this last phrase, it's got to grab your attention. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. One of the most atrocious thoughts you could have in Scripture is God regretted making us. God regretted his choice to make human beings according to this passage. But thankfully, what we're going to learn is the story doesn't stop there. The story, is, it, 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 in all of its, in all of its uh, glory, seems to be at the end, but it doesn't stop. What we're going to discover in the story is that God created, and even though what man did and turned from his vision, God still wants us back. And that becomes a theme of the rest of the story of the scriptures. Now, there's one question that I'm not going to be able to answer in this, and if you ask it, I'll just shake my head, because the question is, why would God do that? 
Why would God, knowing what in our rebellion, why would God pursue us? Why would God come after us? Why would God do all of this to bring us back to him? And the answer is, I don't know, other than the fact to say that God knows, God cares, God loves, God wants you back. Why? I don't know. Why would he want me? I can't answer that. But he does. And that becomes a theme for the rest of the scriptures, the rest of the story. But whether we ever get that or not, we begin to see now in this, one of the next major stories of this scripture, the one I want to spend the rest of the time today on, this story of redemption. God gives us a picture. We're still on page 8, Genesis 6, 7, and 8. And he goes on to say, The Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But, there's, there's the important. He's going to wipe it out. He said, but, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this begins to show us how God, in all of his wisdom and love, is, is pursuing and wants to woo us back, and he does it through the story of Noah. And I want to stop there, and, and let's, let's talk about the story of Noah today. In fact, let's just look at the story of Noah's ark, one of the most famous stories. And, and, and when we think about it, even people who really are pretty much clueless about the Bible have heard this story. There's very few people that are unaware of at least parts of the story of Noah and the ark. I mean, there are uh, jokes about it. There are people who uh, made ceramics around it. There are, uh, there are movies that made about it. There are documentaries about whether they can find it and they're looking for it. And then, of course, it's one of the favorites of, of moms and, and dads as they, they put a nursery together. And what do they put? They put Noah's animals on the wall, right? And the pictures of Noah's Ark. And they got fuzzy little animals and they've got coloring books. And it's about Noah and these friendly little animals. And all of these things, most people would know about Noah and his Ark. But just think with me for a moment. As you read the actual account of Noah and what happens in the flood, most parents would not read that for a bedtime story. Let me give you some ideas of what, where the story goes. Just, just some highlights. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. <laughs> Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People, animals, creatures, birds, all wiped out. Okay, precious, sweet dreams, right? <laughs> we're not going to give them that right before they go to bed, right? And tomorrow we're going to read about the stoning of Stephen, right? We don't, we're not going to do that, okay? So we, we get the picture and we get the, the, the idea, but understand there is something, this is more than a kid's story. There's something that God wants to teach us about his story and how it intersects with our story and ultimately what it can do for each and every one of our lives. Because the truth is we've all caught some glimpses of what a flood can do. We've seen levees break. We've seen bridges collapse. We've seen cars and, and property and lives lost because of a flood. And this was not just a flood. This was worldwide, catastrophic, complete covering of the earth kind of a flood. This was more than the perfect storm. This was absolute covering of the earth according to what God says. But at the same time, 
I want you to understand this. At the same time, God is telling this story and horrendously, Hollywood is going to to focus on the dark side and what could have happened and all of the the crying and despair. But if you read to the story, if you remember, God doesn't give any of those specific descriptions. He doesn't tell us, we know what happened. They died, they perished. But he doesn't give us the pictures of what could have happened because in this story of what is happening in the judgment upon the earth, we also understand that God is working through that. And God's upper story is not stopped. And God is working to do something in the human race. This isn't just about what God's, uh, the God's anger. It's also about his fact of how he is working to bring human beings back to him. So thankfully, there's encouragement actually in this story. For some of you, you're going with us in a couple of weeks. And we're going to Kentucky, and we're going to, we're going to view the Creation Museum, and we're going to see the Ark exhibit. And I talked to a lady yesterday who said, you, you just, you're going to be amazed as you come over that hill and you just see this, this massive Ark sitting there. It's just kind of breathtaking to understand. I'm very excited because this is going to be very interesting. But even the details of creation and the flood that, and, and what happened in the Ark, that's not even the major point of what God's trying us to get across in this story. He's trying to help us understand that there is a problem and sin is an issue, but I want to bring you back. And one of the keys to this story comes in this guy by the name of Noah. And in Noah's story, what God does is he contrasts his life to all of the life of those around him in the world, the society in which he lived. It's page eight in your books, Genesis 6, 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now let's learn something from Noah that God wants us to learn. Well, he describes him, his character, two big words. He was righteous and he was blameless. Those are huge words. Righteous uh, being uh, living according to a standard wasn't, didn't, mean, didn't say anything. He was perfect. But when you looked at the things that God wanted to be done, you would find those qualities in, no, in Noah's life. He was living according to the standard that God had set for, for people that day. Blameless has kind of a horizontal effect. Not only was he living in the, according to God's standard, but the people around him saw his lifestyle. He was blameless among the people he lived. He lived a life that resembled what the, this, this standard that God had. But here's the key, and that's the last part of this verse. He walked faithfully with God. Walking with God. Do you remember where we just read that? Remember how that God had created man so that they could, so he could be with them and he was walking in the cool of the day in the garden. Now we're back to seeing that God is showing that's again what he wants. He wants his creation to walk with him. That I understand is the idea of intimacy and, and fellowship and communion and having this relationship with God. But it's more than intimacy. It also refers to faith because understand this. Noah was, was like us. He did not have a visible picture of God any longer. There was not, his eyes did not see God, and yet he was able to walk faithfully with God. Leads us to this principle that I want you to, one of the principles I want you to pull from this story, and that's this. Noah's righteousness was a result of faith. Please understand, Noah wasn't, wasn't that, he didn't Uh, show him as this righteous man who because he earned God's favor and because he earned this with God that God was going to use him that's not the point at all in fact verse number eight I want you to make sure you get this chapter six before God calls Noah he makes this description we already read it and that is this God found favor or your version may say grace Uh, God found or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord that word is the first time it's going to be used in scripture 
And it's going to be used to set a stage throughout all the rest of Scripture that God chooses people based on His grace, not based on what they can do. Understand, God is saying to us about Noah that He didn't call and choose him because he was a good man. Noah was a righteous man because he faithfully followed God. He walked with God, and that's what changed his life. And so it's about the grace. It's about what God did. Noah didn't earn this. It was his faith in God. It was his faith in walking with a God who he couldn't see and believing in what this God was going to say. And ultimately, God's going to tell him something very important. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Noah this way. By faith, Noah, when warned about things yet unseen... In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. It was his faith that made him righteous. It was his faith that brought him to this walk, to this point where his life was blameless. It was his faith in God that changed his life. And it was, it was not his good works. It was his faith in God. So let's talk about the story a little bit. We know he comes by faith. He follows God. And let's just, let's just overview what happens. And some of you are familiar, some of you are not. If you read the story, you got the details. But starting in chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible says that God saw the world. It was corrupt. It was, it was imploding. It was full of violence. God says to Noah, I am, he tells Noah his plan. I'm going to wipe out the world. I'm going to wipe out all of, these, all of the people, all of the things on it. I'm going to come down. And he said, but for you, I want you to make an ark. And I want you to build a boat. And, and in, the, in the story, the, the, the Bible tells us that God doesn't tell us all that happened in the, in the building of the boat, but he gives us some pretty in, interesting, to me, interesting uh, details. The boat was big, 450 feet long, 75 foot high, 45 foot wide. It had three stories, or 45 foot high, 75 foot wide, excuse me, it had three stories. Around the top, there was a three foot ventilation system. All around the top of the roof, there was three foot that, under the roof that... I wonder what that was for. Any ideas? If you're living with all those animals, wouldn't you like to have some ventilation, right? So God had actually put in the first ventilation system in the plans of this boat as it goes all the way around. And then, of course, the most famous part of this story, there was two of every kind of creature. Of course, there were seven of some of the clean animals, but for the most part, there was two Two deer, two sheep, two, well, seven sheep. There was two cows. There was, there was two of this, two elephants, two, and all of these things. And they, and they, and they begin to fill up the ark. All of that we know. And, and the ark is full with the animals that God brings. And, and according to, even just looking at scientific research, you say, there's no way it could fit on the ark. Oh, but it could. In fact, most animals, even at full-grown size, the average animal is a sheep's size or smaller. So if you take a baby elephant, a ba you understand, you could fit, uh, according to records, you could fit over 20,000 different species of animals inside the boat according to its size. So we're looking at something God did in this miraculous fashion. He brings these animals, and then the flood hits. But understand, this wasn't a normal flood. This was a supernatural explosion of water. Up to this point, if you go back to Genesis 2, 6, you read it in the story, the earth didn't, it, it didn't rain like it does now. The earth didn't get its water from rain. It got its water from these underground springs. God had put in an, an inside sprinkler system that kept the ground watered for everything to grow. So when the flood happened, the Bible says that the springs inside the earth burst. So all that sprinkling system burst. Then there was a canopy over the earth that that burst, plus all of the rain from all of the clouds. What we have is not just a rainstorm. We have a literal explosion of water that went on for 40 days and 40 nights. 
And in those 40 days, everything, the mountains themselves were covered, 15 cubits above the, the highest mountain. All of the earth was covered. Everything was destroyed except for those on the ark. After 150 days, the flooding stopped. The Bible says, Genesis 8. God turned on a, a heavenly hairdryer and began to dry it out. The heat from, the, from what God's wind began to dry out the earth. And in one year and 10 days, the earth was dry and Noah came off the ark with his family and the animals. I don't know what the first thing you would do if you came off an ark after a year and 10 days with your, your seven family members and all those animals. Noah thanked God. My guess is, first thing he did, he went down, he kissed the ground. That's just my thought. He kissed the ground, but then he gives a sacrifice. And this sacrifice is a thanksgiving to God for all that he's done. And then here's what I want us as we move this story forward. I want you to hear God's response. Look what God said, Genesis 8, 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all the living creatures. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? And if you're familiar with the story, if you read it this week, we know that later God confirms this with a picture. And what is that picture? It's the rainbow in the sky. So when you see the rainbow, you see a picture of God's promise that I will never again destroy the earth with a flood like I did in Noah's day. But here's the question I ask. Why did God have to make this promise? Why did God have to promise that he'd never destroy the earth again? I mean, he just purified the earth from all the wicked people, didn't he? I mean, he picked the best man on earth Noah, and he, he, he can start all over. Why should he have to worry about even destroy? Why do these have to make the promise that I will never destroy the earth again? Everything's good, right? Everything's changed, right? Everything's now different. I've started over. I got the best man on earth, and everything's going to be perfect. In fact, he's restarted. You're going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, just like he told Adam and Eve. Everything's got a brand new start. So why does God have to make this promise? And that's the second thing I want you to get from this story itself. The results of the flood were temporary. The results of the flood, the results in man was only temporary. For 375 days, we have no record of any sin in man because all we know is there's eight people inside an ark with all these animals. We don't know, but we have no record of any sin. But as soon as those doors open, you see, here's the problem. When Noah and his seven family members went into that ark, they went in as sinful people. When the doors opened and they walked out, even offering that sacrifice, they came out as the same sinful people. The ark didn't change what the problem was, and that was the heart of man. The ark was a, an amazing display of God's power and what God did, but it didn't change the heart. In fact, just to get, make sure you understand, we read these verses, chapter 6 and verse 5, before the flood, here was God's description of man. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil continually. That's chapter 6, verse 5. That was before the flood. Now go back to verse 21. How does God describe man now after the flood? Everything's changed, right? Look what he says. Every inclination of the human heart is evil. Noah and his family still have a heart problem. 
They still have the inherited sin from their ancestors. And, sin, and, we, and if you go on to read in chapter number 9, within just hours or days from the point they get off the ark, Noah sins and his son sins, and the whole thing just, the cycle starts over and over again. What God is showing us is that sin is real. We've inherited it, and he wants to bring us back. But the point is this, in, in and of ourselves, man will never be able to save himself. If it's up to you and it's up to me, if it was up to Noah and his family to save themselves, it's impossible. We are sinful people. We do not have the power to change our lifestyle, to change our situations, to move to a different city, to do and do all those things to get a brand new start. And we're going to be different now. We don't have that power. We can't change what we can't see inside, and that's our heart. The inclination was still evil even after the flood. If we go back to the beginning of this story in Genesis chapter 3, God gives us an understanding, a clue of what is going to be that takes, makes the difference. Because after Adam and Eve had clothed themselves in the leaves, trying to cover up their nakedness, after God proclaimed all the curses, then he came back and the Bible says, and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. A couple of things about that. One is God made them proper clothing he gave them something that truly covered him up. But remember, their nakedness was a picture of their sin. But notice the verse. It didn't say he used the, the wool of an animal. It said he used the skin of an animal, which means that animal had to die. God's showing us from the very beginning that there's going to be, to be a God-provided sacrifice to cover for our sin. And that is where the story launches. And Noah is just an example of no matter how good people may think you are, you can't save yourself. There's going to have to be a God-provided sacrifice to cover your sins. And that becomes the theme of the rest of the story. Let me just take from what we've learned from Noah some things that I want you to take home, hopefully take home in your package and, and be able to, to identify with it. There's some lessons that we can learn from the story of Noah, and I, I hope that you grab them today. The first one is, we look through this, the flood itself, as we look at the upper story and how that connects with the lower story and what God is doing and how that makes sense and where we are, here's what we got to understand. The, the picture of the story of Noah is a story of God's grace. It's a story of the amazing grace and mercy of God. We've already read it a couple of times, but Noah found favor, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was, it was because of God's grace that had picked out of all those people, God chose Noah. And he, but here's something I want you to make sure you understand. As best we can recollect from this story, God could have done this anyway. He could have saved Noah. He could have pulled all those animals. He did, but he, he started a process. And in essence, what he did for all of the human race at this point is he offered the human race at that point grace. And this grace consisted of these next several years. In fact, if you were to go back to the verses we looked at before, there's an interesting prophecy that before the flood ever happened, God made a prophecy of the human race in chapter number 6 and verse 3, and he tells them, this is before the flood, he said that their days will be 120 years. What he's essentially saying is, I'm warning you folks, you've got 120 years, 120 years for, what, for you to stop following your own ways and follow like Noah and walk in faith. You have 120 years to make this decision, and then he chooses Noah. 120 years, and then he chooses Noah. And Peter, in the, in the New Testament, refers to Noah as a preacher of righteousness. So get this. In those 100 plus years that Noah is building that ark with his sons and whoever helped him, that built the ark in 100 plus years, he was doing more than swinging a hammer. 
He was telling the people God's truth. He was a preacher of God's righteousness. And we can assume that he was warning them that judgment is coming and that you need to repent and that God is saying this is going to happen. For 120 years, we have this preacher of righteousness making this statement. So what do we have? We have, a, we have this opportunity for people to turn. But here's what the sad part is. At the end, it's Noah and seven people that get on that ark. And they're all family. Not a lot of great results in Noah's preaching. But what we see is God's opportunity to, to, for God's voice being spoken clearly and people to have an opportunity to respond to that voice. Now, why do I think that that's true? If you were to go back to the book of 2 Peter, Peter refers to the story of Noah and about the flood and the deluge and about how that people mocked because Noah said this is going to happen and it just it didn't happen all these years. It's, a, it's, it's 10, it's 20, it's 30, it's 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Right, Noah? Sure, your God's going to send rain. Whoa, big time. Okay, your God's going to send judgment. It's been a long time since you started preaching this. And, and Peter's giving us this illustration, but then he goes on and he says, and here's why. 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, because God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's grace. 120 years to hear the message. God's grace, because God says, I want everyone to repent. When you see that rainbow in the sky, yes, it's a picture of the fact that God is Never going to destroy the earth by a flood, but what you see is a picture, a symbol of God's grace. That God is saying that in this time, you're living in a point when you have an opportunity, and the fact that you're here this morning in this room is a picture of God's grace to you to be able to hear the story of what God wants you to know and to be able to make a decision based on the truth that God gives us. It is a story of God's grace. Second thing, this story, the flood, is also, though, a story of God's wrath, God's judgment. God waited for those 120 years, but ultimately judgment did come. God never, never flirts with this idea. Sin is sin, and God says it may be slow in your perspective, but it is certain. People may not believe that it's going to happen, but God promises. Here's how Romans says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people. Never confuse God's patience with his, with his ignorance of your sin or his approval of what is being done or the fact that it hasn't happened now and it never will. God says the wrath is coming and this is a picture of that wrath. But here's the last thing. We've gone from the upper story We've talked about how God's grace now intermingles with this lower story and he offers man an opportunity, but then he also judges men for their sin. But now this, this ark within this story is a picture of God's salvation. Now we come to my story. Now we come to your personal application of this. God speaking, God showing he's a gracious God, God showing that he's also a just God who will punish sin. And then he says, and I offer an opportunity of salvation. You take and you, what are you going to do with this truth of God's grace and God's wrath? And he comes down to what do you do with that? And that's where God offers salvation. And the Bible refers in Peter again of this ark being a picture of our salvation, a picture of God's way of delivering us. I read an article not too long ago about someone comparing this ark to life. And they said, here's everything you need to know about life I learned from Noah's Ark. That was the name of the article. 
and they give the top 10 things that they learned about Noah's Ark that we can apply to life. I'm not going to read them all, but you'll get the idea. Number 10 was you need to plan ahead because it wasn't raining when, God, when Noah started building the ark. So plan ahead. Number nine, I like stay fit because when you're 500 years old, God may ask you to do something big, okay? So if you live to be 500, make sure you stay fit. That's something you learn from the ark. Another thing is remember the ark was built by amateurs. The Titanic was built by professionals. I like that one, okay? That's very interesting. Here's number one, things I learned from Noah's Ark. Don't miss the boat. God offered Noah and his family deliverance from the coming tragedy. And for 120 years, Noah preached about that tragedy to come. And the multitudes missed the boat. You see, that's the point of, one of the points that God is trying to get to us is that this ark is a picture of our salvation. It's a picture of God's deliverance that he provides, that he offers to us. But there's a couple things you've got to learn about the ark. One is it's a restrictive offer. You had to go through the ark, and the only one entrance to the ark was through the door. That's the only way in. That's the only way to come to the ark and to come to this salvation, to come to this deliverance. There was one way and one way only. Do you wonder, ever wonder if some of the people that were around were saying, so what, Noah? I mean, they had oceans, they had lakes. They said, so what, Noah? If it starts to rain, we'll hop in our boat, you know, or we'll, we'll go to higher ground. We'll go up and see mom up in the mountains in her vacation home. We'll get away from this. They thought, they, for whatever reason, this wouldn't affect them. They had no idea the catastrophic effects. They figured they could take care of it. And God says, there is only one way out of this. There is only one way of deliverance. You've got to get on that ark, and the only way to get on that ark is through the door. That's not a very popular way to say things today. Our culture wants to tell us there are many ways to God. You have your way, I have my way, she has her ways, and as long as we're all being sincere, as long as we're all trying our hardest, then surely God... The, the people may have tried their hardest, but God said, there is only one way of salvation. You've got to be on that ark, and you only get on that ark through that door. Which leads us to a theme that's passed all through Scripture, and that is there is only one way to God. And Jesus punctuated it this way, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One way, one door, one salvation and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. It was restricted. It was secure. There, there's one little ominous phrase that caught my attention as I was reading it again this time. Page, page 9, it's verse 16 of chapter 7. It says, when all of them got on the ark, don't, don't ever miss this. You might mark it in your books. Then the Lord shut them in. Don't miss that. Noah didn't shut that door. His sons didn't grab a, a chain and shut the door. The Bible says the Lord literally shut them in. Why? Well, maybe Noah would have messed it up, right? I mean, you need to make sure that thing is sealed correctly. So let's make sure it's not some human put, shutting that door. Noah is going to shut, no, God shut the door. It was secure. But we also know if Noah could shut it, he also could open it. And maybe after the screams of the people, he'd want to open it and let them in. And that again would put his own life in jeopardy. God shut the door but understand that if God shuts the door, it makes a very, very uh, distinct line. Inside that door that God shuts is security, it's safety, it's deliverance. Outside the door is judgment. God says, listen, this ark means there is only one way, 
But once you're in, you're in. God shuts the door. God, this is how Jesus put it in John 10. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You accept Christ. You step on the ark of his salvation. God shuts the door and you're his. You're secure. You're, but understand, outside that door is the judgment of God. You see, as we bring this to an end, the story begins with creation. It shows us the fall. And it shows us where we are as a human race and where we've gone. But here is the thing we've got to remember. That the Bible is the story of God's plan to bring us back. The Bible is the story of God's plan to bring you back. This is my story. This is God's story showing his grace, showing his judgment, offering salvation to all who will receive. So today, let, let's, let's make application. First, the question I have is this. Have you accepted God's salvation? Have you received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ? Have you entered the door of salvation because you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? The only way. Do you know him today as your personal Savior? If not, application, would you receive him today? Would you accept his offer, his gift of salvation? Don't miss the boat. Second question, Christians, let me ask you this. Is your life currently known as a life of one who is walking faithfully with their God? Does the world around you see you as one who is walking with God? Not perfect, but walking in a journey with God. My question is, what step do you need to take for that to happen? What is it that God says, this, this change needs to be made? This is what I have for you to do. Let me ask you another question, Christians. Are you willing to let God use you to make an impact on the world? To do something bigger than you? To do an ark-sized wor work in, a, in a, this godless world? Are you willing to let God use you? Would you today say, God, I'm yours wherever, whenever. Use me. My last question is, Christians, do you know someone, do you love someone who needs to know this story? Do you know someone who needs to hear the story of Jesus, needs to hear the story of God's grace and God's wrath that offers, the combination is God offers salvation. Do you know someone who needs that? If so, would you tell them about it this week? Would you at the very least invite them next Sunday and bring whatever you can to bear to bring them with you next Sunday to hear how this story continues for them? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. God has spoken to you today. I hope that today your heart is open and receptive to, to respond as he speaks to you. You see, that story is our story. God made us but we have inherited sin from our ancestors and the only answer we have is to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Have you done that? Don't miss the boat. Know that God loves you and he has a plan for you. Would you receive his gift today? Christian, would you say, God, I want to walk faithfully with you every day. What does that mean for your life? Or maybe just lift up the name of that friend or that loved one right now who needs to know this story and say, God, please bring this story to their heart. Help me to have the courage to tell them 
and show them your salvation. Father, we love you. Story is real. Story is life. Our story now comes to what do we do with this information? We've seen your grace and your wrath, but we see your salvation. What do we do with this? Please speak to people's hearts today. Please draw them to whatever their next step is in this journey. As Chris continues to play, just take some time and, and let's focus our hearts on him for a moment. What is God saying to you? If you're here today and, and you want to know Christ as your Savior, you want to know this salvation, that by God's grace you can be saved from his wrath, we'd love to show you how that can happen. We'd love to pray with you. But right even where you're seated, just call out to him and say, God, be merciful to me. Save me. I want to know your life. Chris is going to play. I invite you, if you'd like to come and pray here this morning, there will be those coming as you'd come that we're praying with, we'd be willing to pray with you. And as God speaks to you, if, if you'd like to come and pray, we'd love to pray with you. But as God moves in your heart, make the most of this time this morning. As the music continues, God speaks. I invite you to come today.